advices on downstairs. Oh, the offering. Forgot about the offering. All right. So it's still warm in here tonight, and we have no heat on, but it's just so warm, isn't it? Romans chapter 16 is where we want to go tonight. Romans chapter 16. And just a couple of verses here. Uh, breaking into this chapter at verse 8. Paul obviously writing. He said, Greet Amplias, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. In Statues, my beloved. Greet Apelles, beloved. Sorry, greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodion, my countryman. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Amen. Now this rather long letter of Paul's to the church at Rome, it ends with a list of personal greetings to individuals who assisted Paul in his labors in the gospel. Paul singles out 36 individuals. Obviously, we did not read the whole chapter, but trust me, I've counted them. He singles out 36 whom he commends in Christ. 36 names are mentioned, and few of them are familiar to us. If we had read all of the chapter, you'd have found Pastor Timothy. You'd also have found uh, ones like Aquila and Priscilla. You find them in the book of Acts. But the majority of them are simply unrecognizable to us. Uh, these were people that were assisting him, and sometimes in big ways, sometimes in just little ways. But at the end of this letter, he writes and acknowledges every last single one of them. And even though they are unknown to us, yet the Holy Spirit, who's the author of Scripture, saw fit to mention each individual and to make a comment about them that we have now in Holy Writ. The church is full of unknowns, no names as we would say. People like you and I, just ordinary five-eighths people that outside of our own local setting, who would know us? There may be one or two people somewhere, but by and large outside of our local communities and our local church setting, who knows about us? But the Holy Spirit knows. He knows you intimately. He knows every detail about your life and he remembers. And I'm glad that this chapter 16 is in the book of Romans. And I'm glad that Paul took the time to list all of these names. Of course, never thinking that 2,000 years later we would be reading about them. But just because he, he felt inspired to, he felt led to. And of course it was of the Holy Spirit, wasn't it? And I'm particularly intrigued by one person in the list, Apelles. Verse 10, greet Apelles approved in Christ. What an accolade. What commendation. What an inspired compliment by the Holy Spirit never mind Paul, to write about this man, and this is all we know about this man. 
All that we'll ever know about this man, in fact, most of these names, all we'll ever know is these brief few words that are written in Romans 16. Great Apelles approved in Christ. What can this possibly mean? Approved in Christ. In my dictionary of English synonyms, I find that approved means commended, praised, recommended, liked, valued, thought well of, spoken well of, sanctioned, ratified, confirmed, upheld, validated, endorsed, etc., etc., etc. However, to be approved, we must first be proved. To be approved, we must first be proved. Whoever Apelles was, he was approved in Christ because he had been proven to be something in Christ. What does proved mean? Again, it means to demonstrate, to show, to manifest, to confirm, to establish, substantiate, justify, make good, verify, to try, to test, to examine, to check, to experiment upon, submit to the test or proof, found out to be. So in short, if I could just encapsulate that in short, Someone who is approved is someone who has been put to the test, who's been checked, verified, was proved to be, found out to be, demonstrated to be worthy, genuine, and manifestly good. Can somebody say amen? amen. That's what I meant when I said this is a great commendation. What an accolade. Would you like the Holy Spirit to say that about you? That you are approved in Christ? Because you have been proven in Christ. So what are the, the ways that we can be proven so that we can be approved in Christ? Because for sure, one way or other, God is going to prove us so that we're approved in Christ. Well, test and trials for a start. Proverbs 17 and 3 says, The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter puts it this way, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found unto honor at the glory, honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is a proving and there is a testing. In the last book of the Old Testament in Malachi, in chapter 3, right at the beginning, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Who do you think he's speaking about here? He's speaking about Christ, isn't he? The Messiah. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? 
He is like a refiner's fire and like launder's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, the sons of the priests, and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Anything that is worth anything is tested. There's nothing, there's no appliance in your home that hasn't been tested before it left the factory. I love that little program on Freeview, How Stuff is Made. I am fascinated when I watch that. And I watch them making light bulbs. And much to my amazement, every light bulb that's made is tested before it leaves the factory. They're all lit up to make sure. The ones that doesn't light are scrapped. So even a, even a light bulb is tested. When you're going your holidays next week or whenever it is, you would love to think that when you get on that plane that it has been absolutely tested to the nth degree before you set foot in. You would like to think the pilot just didn't jump in and put his hat on and never had done his test before he flies that thing. Everything is tested. Remember the eggs years ago? I don't know if they still got them. Remember the little stump was on the eggs? They put them through the lights to make sure there was no little chickens in them. Of course, a Filipino friends down there, they, they eat the chicken and all, don't they? Did you ever have balut whenever you were there? You never tried balut? Claire, he needs to try balut, doesn't he? Absolutely. No, do not try it, believe me. I've never tried never would. You couldn't pay me to eat it. But anyway, they love it. There you are. That's the difference in culture, isn't it? So everything's tested. So why should we not think that somehow or other that God wouldn't test us? That he wouldn't prove us? That he wouldn't put us to the test? If he's going to use us, if he's going to put us in his field to be used by him, surely he's going to find a way to test us. Moses spent 40 years in the backside of a desert. And that was a major test to him. Because he knew he was called to be a deliverer. And he knew he had blown it as far as he felt at least he had blown his opportunity when he was 40 years old. So for the next 40 years, he spent it looking after sheep in the desert until he was 80 years old. As far as he was concerned, it was over. His calling was gone. It was finished. Never to return. Had no idea that one day when he was 80, when he was going to be out looking after the sheep, he'd find this burning bush and suddenly his whole life would change forever. And for the next 40 years, he was God's man, wasn't he? But you see, those middle 40 years tested his mettle, didn't it? tested his humility, tested everything about him. Not that the Lord Jesus Christ needed tested to be proven by God because he already was approved by God. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Whenever the Spirit like a dove descended at his water baptism. But the devil tested him. The devil tested him. Three great tests, body, mind, and spirit. If you look at those temptations, that's what it included. And every single test he came through with flying colors. Apostle Paul, I don't think there's anybody who was tested more than the great Apostle Paul. You read what he came through time and time again. But yet at the end of his life, he says, I have run my race, I have finished my course. <laughs> he came through all of those tests to the glory of God. And so, we shall be tested. 
be tested by trials, maybe even temptations. But will he also be tested by the word of God? In Psalm 105, it speaks of Joseph. In verse 17 it says, He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. And your margin will tell you that the iron entered into his soul. Now the Genesis account doesn't tell us he was laid in iron. It tells us he was in prison. But the psalmist writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit tells us that he was in irons. How long for we don't know. How long he was in prison we're not exactly sure. But it was quite a while. And in that time, at some point in that time, even though he was a model prisoner, but at some point, probably at the beginning of his imprisonment, they put him in irons. And the irons just didn't affect him physically. They affected him in his mind and in his emotions and the soulish part of him. It entered into his soul, it says the iron. So here's a man who was going through tremendous uh, tests and trials. Why? Look what it says. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Remember the dreams that he had that he told his brothers? How that he was out in the field and his great shock of corn stood up and 11 other ones around him all bowed down to him. And of course his brothers knew exactly what that was about. And they said, do you expect us to bow down before you? And then it got worse when he had the other dream. And his mother and father get in on it. And he says, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed down before me. Now that was God's word to him. Those visions and dreams was God speaking to him prophetically about his life. And that became his word because he spoke it, he shared it, he told it to his family. But that word that God gave him that became his word, he was tested for years. In fact, he was sold into slavery when he was about 17 or 18. And it wasn't until he was 30 to get out of prison. So there's about 12 years he was tested to the nth degree. What with? The word of God tested him. Was this true? Was the vision right? Was I hearing right? Did God actually speak to me? Or was this just my imagination? Was my brothers and my parents right? Will this ever happen? Here I am, I'm a slave, I'm in prison, I'm in arms. You can see how in that occasion, at that moment, he must have doubted and wondered. And the word of God tested him. And the word of God tests us. Because sometimes God comes to us and he speaks to us. Maybe not in an audible voice, maybe not even in a dream or a vision, but he speaks to us and we know in our hearts that he's spoken. And we're happy about that and excited about that and want to do that. But then in a process of time, stuff happens, life happens, and setbacks happens. And we wonder, did we hear from heaven? Did God actually speak? Was that the Holy Spirit directing me or was it not? And the word of the Lord tests us.
William Sacker said that the iron chains about his feet ushered in the golden chains about his neck. <laughs> the iron chains about his feet ushered in the golden chains about his neck. Old Spurgeon said, Of many a choice promise we may say of Daniel, the thing was true, but the time appointed was long. And that's what tests us, isn't it? From when God speaks to when it happens, who knows how long that's going to be? And that's where the word of God tests us. And that's where we have to trust. And all that stuff that happens in between to get us to doubt it and to wonder and to worry and to fret, that tests us. Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 3, the vision is yet for an appointed time. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come and will not tarry. Though it tarry, wait for it, it shall surely come and will not tarry. There comes a point when the tarrying is over and the word of God is fulfilled and comes to fruition. And that's wonderful when that happens. But until that happens, boy, it tests you, doesn't it? And so there's tests and trials, the word of God. So what is proven? What in our lives is proven? Whoever this appellus was, and however he was proven to be approved, we don't know. But the Apostle Paul watched his life, examined his life. And when he began to write all those nice things, he didn't just write it for the sake of writing it. He thought about this man. And he says, he's approved in Christ. He has proven himself in Christ. But what is proven? Well, our faith is proven. This is what Peter said. We read it a moment ago. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, might be found unto honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Faith is the currency of heaven. Without faith, Hebrews 11:6, it is impossible to please God. Without it, we cannot please God. But there's nothing pleases God more than whenever you and I exercise our faith. And that may just be our simple trust in the Lord Jesus. Whenever somebody comes to Christ, when they hear the gospel, and they finally repent, and they turn around, and they come to Christ, and they say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner, and I need your grace, I need your salvation, and I'm going to trust you and believe, and they pray. At that moment, there's nothing pleases the heart of God more than seeing their faith, trusting his son. Faith is the currency of heaven. If we're ever going to get anything from heaven, it's going to be by faith. Of course, it's his grace that gives it, but it's our faith that takes it. And so your faith is very, very precious in the sight of God. So therefore, it will be proven 
much more than the gold that perishes. And gold is put through various stages, isn't it? A purification. And now it's finally stamped when it's ready. And our faith, even though it's maybe just little faith, mustard seed faith, but it's better than gold to God. And it should be better than gold to us. Because that's how we're going to communicate and reach into heaven and receive that which God is offering by His grace. By a simple act of our faith. So what is proven? Our faith is proven. But then secondly, our not just our faith, but our faithfulness. Our faithfulness is proven. In Hebrews chapter 3, it speaks of Moses. First of all, it's comparing Moses with Christ. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses was also faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, insomuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which could, would, would be spoken afterwards. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. And so Moses here is given a tremendous compliment that he was faithful in all his house. And boy, he was, and he had a big house to be faithful over. Can you imagine a congregation of two to three million people? Can you imagine them all murmuring at the one time? You know, any given week in any church, there's somebody who's always out of sorts. Something happens in life, they're not for six, or they get out of bed that morning the wrong side, and they're like a bait and bear, as we say, and they come to church just waiting to unload. <laughs> but could you imagine if you had three million people like that at the one time? What grace Moses must have had. What patience he must have had. And he only lost his temper once. I mean, he's some man, isn't he? He was faithful in all his house. And do you know what? God expects us to be faithful in that which God commits to us. Big or small. He looks for faithfulness to do it. In Luke chapter 16... Listen to what Jesus says. Look, chapter 16. Verse 10. He who, is, he who is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in that which is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit you to your trust the true riches? If you've not been faithful to that which is another man's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. 
Now we know that Christ is speaking about riches here, but the principle is the same. God looks to see how faithful you are in the little things. And he'll judge how faithful you are in the little things before he gives you something bigger. And if you can't handle the little things and you're unfaithful in the little things, guess what? You're not going to get the bigger things. But he looks to see how faithful we are and how much we do what he wants us to do. Away from the limelight, unknown, nobody cares. But if we're faithful in the little things, he sees, he cares, he knows. Do you know that faithfulness is one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22? It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. So whenever you are born again of the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life, one of the things that should be in our lives as evidence of the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. And we can be faithful to God's Word and faithful to God's house, and faithful in our giving to God, and faithful in our attendance to the house. So many people are unfaithful. Here today, gone tomorrow, now you see them, now you don't. In and out, up and down, that's the way they go. That's through life. That's not what God has got for us as believers, friends. He wants us to be faithful, even in the little things. What is it we want to hear spoken by the Lord on that day? Well done, Thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Mm. So our faithfulness and our faith will be proven. What about our works? If you were to read Revelation 2 and 3, where Christ is in the midst of, of the churches, the seven churches in Asia Minor. You'd see that he had something different to say to all of them and something the same to say to all of them. The thing that he had the same to say to all of them was, I know your works. That's the first thing he says to all of them. I know your works. Church of Ephesus, I know your works. Church of Smyrna, I know your works. Pergamos, Theatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, I know your works. So that's something that God looks at, isn't it? Something that he's very aware of. Now we know this has nothing to do with salvation. We know that we cannot work our way into God's kingdom. We know that we are saved by grace we trusted the Lord. Nothing to do with any works. But after we're saved, then God expects works. He looks for works. Not the only thing, but certainly that's what he looks for. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers, you're God's field, you're God's building. Paul, by the way, often mixed his metaphors, so you'll see there is different illustrations. 
We're fellow workers. You're God's field. You're God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and other builds in it, but let each one take heed how he builds. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds in this foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay and straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Here's the proving again. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now that's a scary verse, is it not? Knowing that one day we will stand before the Lord and our works, as we get saved, will be judged to see if it's worthy of reward. Or to see if it's hay, wood, and stubble that will be burned up, even though we will be saved, but no rewards. Do you want to go to heaven with no rewards? I don't think so. We love rewards, don't we? For whenever we were little children, we love rewards. And I often say even a horse likes a sugar lump, doesn't it? The wee dog likes a pat, doesn't it? We love rewards. We're built, we're hardwired for reward. And God wants to reward. But he's only going to reward the gold and the silver and the precious stones, not the haywood and stubble. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5 In verse 9 it says, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I trust also you're well known in your consciences. Ah. Now, if the first verse was scary, that's even more scary, isn't it? You know, of course, that those who are unsaved in Revelation 20 will appear before the great white throne of judgment. And that's not for reward. That's for eternal damnation. And that's the books are open so that everyone will know because God's a just God. It's written. There'll be no arguments. But if you're a believer, you'll not appear before that throne, but we will all appear before this throne, the throne of Christ. Not to decide whether we're going to get into heaven or not, because we're already believers, but just to see what, if anything, can be rewarded or what will be high wooden stubble. So, our works will be proven. And then the last thing, our character. Our character. In Romans 5, just the first few verses. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, 
But we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Now note this, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now my margin says, and character, approved character, produces hope. Approved character. So God looks at our character. He's very concerned about our character. Somebody said, and I've written this down today, you should care more about your character than your reputation. Your character is what you really are. Your reputation is what other people think you are. D.L. Moody said, your character is what you are in the dark. Someone else said, live your life in such a way that you wouldn't be afraid to sell your parrot to the town gossip. <laughs> Matthew chapter 7. We're just through in a moment. Deliberately not being long tonight. I say, David, this is long enough. On a hot, sunny summer night. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets. This is Jesus speaking. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Notice here the importance and the emphasis that Christ puts on character. That inner quality. And notice how he says it, that it produces good fruit in our lives. The Bible never says that you'll be known by your gifts, but it always says you'll be known by your fruits. Fruit of, love is also a fruit of the Spirit. And Jesus said, by this you shall know, all men shall know you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. And so, when the fruit of the Spirit is in our lives and it is operating in our lives and it's allowed to work in our lives, then our character will reflect that. Now we're not perfect, we're human, and as long as we're in a human body, we're going to blow it and we're going to make mistakes and we're going to do things that are wrong and stupid and all the rest of it. But we can repent and we can be cleansed and we can start again. But the propensity of our lives... The general direction in our lives is to have a good character and to live well before people. 
that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. And so God looks for character. He looks to see what we're like on the inside. And then out of that character, good works can be produced and our faithfulness and our faith can operate. And so whoever this Apelles was, and we don't know, whatever he did that so impressed the Apostle Paul, and we don't know, well, I for one am glad that Paul wrote that about him, that he was approved in Christ. And I'll say again in closing, wouldn't it be great if that was our epitaph? Wouldn't that be wonderful if whenever we depart this scene of time that somebody would look at our lives and say they were approved in Christ? Wouldn't that be nice in your headstone, by the way? <laughs> approved in Christ. Christ knows those who are his, doesn't he, the Bible says. And he knows how to prove us that we may be approved for the work and for the kingdom that we're involved in. One of the great bains of the Christian church is lives that are not sanctified. That people turn around and say they're just a bunch of hypocrites. How often have you heard that? Now we know that people's going to say things that are untrue. We know that. But as far as we're concerned and as best we can live, we want people to look at our lives and see that we're approved in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for these few moments that we have spent together tonight, worshiping you and listening your word. And Lord, we pray that what has been sung and what has been spoken tonight may find a place in our hearts. Lord, it may be good seed sown in good soil, it may be barren fruit. Because, Lord, we want to please you. We want to serve you. We want to live for you in such a way that we would be approved in Christ. So, Lord, by your grace, would you help us to do that and to be that? Lord, forgive us for the times whenever we're foolish and we blunder and we make our mistakes and sometimes we sin. Forgive us, Lord, for those moments. Cleanse us from them. And pick us up, Lord, and dust us down and help us to go forward and live for Jesus. And Lord, let us be known as men and women of God. True Christians, real believers, that has got a testimony to the faithfulness of God. And so we give you thanks. We thank you, Lord, for the life of little Noah tonight. And Lord, the blessing he has been to our families we thank you, Lord, for sparing him. Lord, whenever you spare a life, it's for a purpose. There's a reason in it. And Lord, we just pray that as he grows up into a young man, that he'll find that reason and that purpose. And he'll come to know you and serve you and love you all his days. We ask for your blessing to be upon him, to Claire and to Mark and to the other children. Lord, as a family that you will Weld them together in Christ. They'll go forward as a unit together in Christ. 
And Lord, that little no will grow up strong in body and strong in mind and strong in spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the food that's been prepared downstairs and for our time of fellowship over these next few moments. Thank you, Lord, for this lovely couple, Lord, that is going out on the mission field in August. We pray your blessing upon them, your protection to be upon them. And Lord, whatever their hand finds to do, we pray they'll do it with all their might. And we know, Lord, that the children will be blessed and the staff will be encouraged. Lord, as they come and put their shoulder behind the wheel, we give you thanks for that. Thank you, Lord, for all the support that Claire has been getting over these past few months as she's come into the country. And we thank you, Lord, that it's better at the last as it was at the first. And we thank you, Lord, for even this past few days, Lord, just how it has come in, Lord, even in unexpected ways. But, Lord, that's your supply. That's how you do it. And we thank you if we trust you and believe in you that you find ways that we do not even know because that's your mercy and goodness. So we love you and we trust you and we thank you for every blessing. Bless our fellowship together and the food that's prepared in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.